In today's episode, I spoke with Casey Armstrong about CMOs in 2023, fractional marketing work, and B2B marketing team setups. If you don't know Casey, he's the CMO at ShipBob and the former VP marketing at BigCommerce as well. So he's uniquely qualified to talk to us about marketing leadership, marketing ops, and beyond. So let's dive right into the episode. Head to the questions and start the conversation. So let's dive into some CMO-related questions. You have unique experience around this. You've been leading marketing teams for a while. As you see it right now in 2023, what, are, what do you think is kind of like the current state of the CMO? What are CMOs that are doing really well focusing on? I think it depends greatly on the stage of the business. I think when you get started, though, you need to drive results instantly. And so just thinking, you know, being able to identify, you know, the stage of the product market fit, the channels that you think will, you know, be able to move the revenue needle quicker and then just show instant results. And so I mentioned the revenue needle. I think that's another item that will continue to just, of course, get more and more important because that's what drives the business is you need to be when locked up with the revenue or sales leader, understand the entire sales process, understand the business model as well as anybody. Because then at the end of the day, you know, your job as a marketer is to scalably and efficiently you know, put the company in the position to, to drive revenue and drive strong ROI based off of the levers that you decide to pull. And so, yes, I think a, a very strong focus on revenue and trying to, you know, make instant impact. So for you, when you're looking at that balance between being strategic and leading the team versus being hands-on and doing the work alongside the team, how do you think about that balance for a top-tier CMO? So between being strategic and being hands-on. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'm biased in my view because I've been fortunate to be like an IC across pretty much every channel. And so, you know, having the hands-on experience, but I think your job, depending on the size of the team, maybe you're a CMO and you're essentially an individual contributor, or maybe you have a large team of 20 or 50 or a hundred, but it's really, again, it's first it's identifying what's actually going to help move the business forward. And usually there's only a handful of lovers that are going to do that. And then making sure that everybody is very clear on the goals and the prioritization. And then I think it's directing that focus and enabling the team to, you know, achieve what you think that they can accomplish. So instead of this scattered approach of everybody trying to run a bit, bunch of different directions is how can you get everybody aligned? And then again, just really focus on like those that maybe it's that individuals with that one channel or that handful of channels that are really going to actually drive the business forward. And then I believe it's enabling the team to accomplish, you know, to reach their full potential. And so sometimes maybe they have a lot of experience as an IC or managing teams and they've got the resources that they need and they can run on their own, but sometimes maybe they need some help to, you know, elevate them to the next level. So you need to get your hands on. So again, it always depends, but I think the biggest, most important thing is really understanding what's the job to be done, making sure everybody's aligned and on the same page as much as possible. And then, you know, getting everybody to move in the right direction and doing it as quickly as possible. Do you see bad habits that other CMOs or even yourself you've had in the past or have now where you feel like this is really not a habit that's 
useful, but is common in being a CMO? I can't speak for others. I mean, I definitely have bad habits. I mean, we all do. I'd say that I'll say broadly for marketers is sometimes there's a pull to maybe highlight certain accomplishments or metrics higher up in the funnel that don't necessarily translate to what matters most. And that's, you know, closing new customers and driving new revenue. And so maybe they're focused on, hey, we did these things on social and got this many impressions, or we did this with SEO and we got all these clicks and all this traffic, or we did this through paid search and we got all these leads. But if these, you know, if these impressions or brand awareness or, you know, traffic or leads are not converting into uh, opportunities the sales team can close or quality traffic that you're, if it's, you know, product-led growth like PLG, that the product can close on its own, that then therefore turns into revenue, none of that really matters. And so I'd say just generally a habit I see at times is just people getting comfortable with, you know, getting deeper in the funnel and understanding which of their levers are actually turning into you know, the right leads and therefore the right customers. That's what's most important. If you're looking at like the general landscape right now, kind of kind of seems like more companies are becoming more familiar with this concept of fractional CMOs where maybe they don't feel like they need to hire somebody fully. But then there's still a lot of companies that maybe do hire a CMO and they didn't really need one. How do you think companies or what type of companies actually should hire a CMO or how should they decide to go about that? So whether it's a fractional CMO or a fractional marketing leader or whatever you want to call it, I guess my, my, my worries there, and this is coming from somebody who also ran or helped run a marketing agency for a while. So I guess we were the pseudo fractional CMO or marketing leader for a bit, but we were hands-on. I think if you're coming in, I think you can get a lot of value from people that can come in and maybe help guide your path forward based off of like their experience. But you need to have the expectations there that they're never going to be able to get as deep as somebody who's in there full time, you know, thinking about this all the time. So I think it's just expectation setting. Again, you can learn a lot and hopefully maybe create like a strong framework or avoid a lot of the pitfalls. But I think to unless they're in there and also acting with like an IC that's turning a bunch of dials or managing the team like on a daily basis. I don't know. I, I would just maybe keep expectations set properly that, you know, they're not going to be maybe the game changer higher. I could be wrong, but you know, that's my view. It's, and that's one of the reasons why I eventually went in-house and why I love doing that. And Prior to ship Baba, I was over at Big Commerce and just the ability to go just so much deeper, not just in marketing, but so much deeper across the entire business. You know, you can spend time with engineering and with product and with sales at Chip Bob with like the operations team, you know, with finance and just understand the business more. And I think that's how you can really identify what are the levers that can actually move the business forward where you know, a fractional or part-time hire, again, there, there's a role for those, but you just need to have the expectation set that like the level of depth 
And to be honest, I think the overall impact will not necessarily be as great as, you know, if you really nail the full-time hire. Have you worked a bunch with freelancers on your own team now that you're in-house? Do you hire freelancers pretty often to do like one-off projects or anything like that? Yeah, we hire freelancers for both one-off projects and for consistent work as well. And so that's really allowed us to, I think, keep the team uh, relatively small and identify, you know, for certain projects and certain jobs to be done, like who do we need to come in that we know can knock this out of the park and like, you know, sometimes there's a world, there's world for generalists or people that can be generalists and managers and, you know, go deep in, in, you know, cer certain channels or th certain projects that we need to initiate or execute. And then, you know, whether it's certain content roles or marketing automation or CRO or data analytics, and you can come in and bring those people in to do one-off or recurring projects. If an example comes to mind, let me know. I'm just curious if you see a common thread of maybe traits that make freelancers really good that you've worked with versus, you know, I'm sure you've had many that haven't panned out or have been okay, but not great. What are the traits that kind of separate the great ones in terms of like marketing freelance work for you? For all hires, freelance or full-time, and I think it's the hardest to evaluate during an interview process is, well, I guess, you know, they're, how much do they care? And it's people who actually like enjoy their work because they will, I, I think just the level of output is often much, much greater. It's, you know, it's kind of like a fuzzy answer and tough to evaluate, tough skill to evaluate, but you know, it's honestly people that give a shit. After that, an area where I think I've made the biggest mistakes, both from hiring full-time and part-time is especially full-time. And I know your question was on part-time, but it's like people who don't necessarily understand, like maybe the business model. And so I've hired some very talented people before where their background was more B2C and versus B2B. And again, they're very talented what they do, but understanding you know, the types of customers that you're trying to attract and like the longer sales cycles uh, and the longer and kind of tougher to evaluate feedback loops always makes, I think makes the job a bit harder versus I've had more success as finding these hungry people that are maybe greener, but their, but their backgrounds rooted in like B2B, if that's what your, if that's what your business is and being able to edge, you know, scale up their skill set faster than trying to educate them to think through, you know, getting these like more long tenured people that have done a lot of B2C and teach them B2B. So that's been, I'd say, just something I've seen a few times over and we all make mistakes and sometimes repeat them over and over, but hopefully do that less. On the freelancer side, I think, again, back to that example, who has experience with B2B companies? Let's just go back to the CRO example. You know, and people can cross over and I've worked on both sides of the fence as well. But, you know, let's just say with CRO, if you bring in somebody and they're used to like B2C marketing and, you know, they want to jump into your Shopify or BigCommerce store and, and help from there versus somebody who's going to come in and uh, from like a B2B perspective, just the type of questions that they'll ask and the teams that they'll think to bring in and or get feedback from is just a bit different. And then I believe there's certain industries like let's take us at ShipUp, for example, we are in e-commerce technology or e-commerce enablement. We're a B2B solution. 
there are a pretty strong contingent of freelancers or people in the space that have worked in like the B2B e-commerce space. And so I think that's helpful as well, especially from like a content or design perspective, people who understand like who are the ideal customer, you know, personas and having a, you know, strong background in the industry as well, just really helps them get up to speed instantaneously. And they can probably add a lot of value from their network and connections as well. When you look back, it could be either for ShipBob or Big Commerce or whatever. I'm just curious how you've thought about team building. The earlier the stage, the better. But, you know, when you've started these companies as a marketing leader, how have you thought about this is the first hire I should do or I should make? This is the next hire. Is there some kind of logical sequence that you tend to follow for B2B or is it just completely different every time? Yeah, I'd say it always starts with like, what are the must have roles? And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier with like, where can we drive instant impact? And so when I joined e-commerce, we had a larger, you know, more established marketing team. When I joined ShipBob, you know, we were, we're still, you know, decent size from a revenue perspective, but we had a rather small marketing team. And so, you know, we were having to be rather thoughtful of, okay, who is that next hire? Based off of the, the team we have today, is it the ideal mix of people or from a focus perspective? And so I think you really, like a simplest framework is, for people who can be on this, but you know, you've got your standard two by two grid, okay? For everybody who's ever seen a pitch deck, you know, there's the two by two grid and, you know, uh, Chip Bob or marketer hire, whoever you're promoting is always going to be the top right by itself, okay? This is like, you know, here's, you know, we're, we're the cream of the crop. And so for us, a similar grid to try to create the simple framework is what's going to have the highest impact on the y-axis and, you know, what's our confidence level on the x-axis. And so you want to, and so you can start plotting different channels. So ShipBob, we were like a known, there's like a known problem, known commodity. So e-commerce fulfillment, e-commerce shirt yell, e-commerce shipping, and e-commerce logistics. And so people were searching for this thing. And so we knew from that, you know, SEO, for example, it was proven in B2B, B2B SaaS, and people were searching for this. So our confidence level and the impact that we thought it could have was extremely high. So that would go in the top right. And then let's just take paid search. That might be a little bit lower because it's really expensive and not always as efficient, but people are searching for it. So we knew that this was a channel that could work. And if done right, AdWords is a channel that can scale well for B2B SaaS, especially if your average customer value is high. Whereas then take something like influencer marketing. Sure, the impact at times could be high, but you, it could also completely bomb. So the impact could be essentially zero. And so another way to think about the grid too is ceiling and floor. And so you have, you know, in the top right, it's high ceiling, high floor. The top left is high ceiling, low floor. Bottom right would be low ceiling, high floor. And the bottom left is low ceiling, low floor. So you kind of plot these different channels. And then that I think can, because again, you want to drive impact as quickly as possible. And those are the must-haves. You can't hire any nice-to-have roles until you really start to prove out and drive value to the business. And so from that, we are able to start plotting out what are the different channels that we think we can attack that can move the needle as quickly as possible for ShipBob. Or you could do it for market to hire. You could do it for any other company. And I think that should be a strong input for how you start to hire. Because let's say we plot all of that and... You know, we have SEO and we have paid search and naturally we need to, you know, communicate with our customers and the lead that come in. So, you know, marketing automation is more supporting role. And so it's like, okay, well, we need people that can not content SEO of the park. We need somebody, whether it's in-house or, you know, 
freelancer that can knock paid search out of the park. We need somebody that can really nail marketing automation. And so that should be like the framework for the first couple hires, or you look for people that can juggle multiple, you know, that can juggle multiple roles in those. And then you can start to expand from there. Whereas, you know, you're not going to want to hire somebody that, you know, fits within any of the other quadrants, I think, until you start to really hit diminishing returns in those channels. And that's one of the ways you can keep the team rather small and efficient. That makes sense. If you were starting at an early stage B2B startup tomorrow, what would be the marketing tech stack that you would probably bring with you as you got started? A network and a phone, call customers, then try to get them in the door. I think people often, what I love with marketing is you can, there's a lot of channels where you can scale the top of funnel and leads and opportunities rather quickly and efficiently with fewer people. You just, you really need to understand the sales side of it as well. Like you got to start bringing in the revenue. And I think sometimes people try to like over-optimize or, you know, think too much about the team building side or the technology stack, which, which is, these things are important, don't get me wrong, versus like, okay, how are we going to drive impact as, as quickly as possible? And especially on the marketing side, I think if you're not able to like really nail the sales side of it, you know, you could just be still in this really leaky funnel, which nobody wins. And so I don't know, I, I think just trying to put on the revenue hat earlier is extremely important. If you were looking back at your time at ShipBob, for example, are there maybe one or two things you do differently overall? with like strategy or tactics or whatever, what would be those things that you might consider doing differently? So with interesting with ShipBob is we have, you know, let's just say a typical technology company, there's like go to market on one axis and there's product engineering on the other. For us, there's kind of like a Z axis, which is operations because there's like, we actually receive and store and ship and pick and package packages. And so, and we've really unlocked a lot of the scale, but it's not like you're just clicking a button or paying AWS more. And so anyways, I mentioned that because our ability to scale is a little bit different. That said, I think one of the things I would, what's interesting is you work across a bunch of different companies is you don't often recognize or appreciate like the great times of when everything was cranking well and when to really double down. And there have been a handful of instances in my career where I've fortunately been in those situations. And at ShipBob, you know, needless to say, COVID was horrible and not fun, but our demand was off the charts. And fortunately, we were in a great position from an SEO perspective. I think our sales and marketing funnel was in a very good spot, but our ability to acquire customers at that time because of the demand because of where we were positioned with from an SEO and paid search perspective was in a very unique spot. And so I'm very proud of what we accomplished at that time. I think that would have been an opportunity for us to double down even more because it's not often that, you know, catch the, you know, whatever proverbial lightning in a bottle because it always, you know, goes out eventually and we're still in a great spot, but that was a very unique time. And so I think when you can feel the market pull, like, that's the time more than anything to double down. 